Hey, fellow music nerds, I'm Robin Hilton, one of the hosts of NPR's Music Discovery Podcast, All Songs Considered. Each week, we geek out over our favorite new songs and artists and play loads of music for you to fall in love with. Join us by subscribing to All Songs Considered in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. When Jin Tooley found out she was pregnant with her first child, she was racked with fear and anxiety. I was just scared to my bone um, for weeks. Because I wasn't ready to be a mom. I, I was just not ready. I was very nervous. But after delivering her daughter, Jin's anxiety lifted. The moment I saw her face, everything changed. And the face she saw looking back at her was a perfect mix of mom and dad. Half Korean, half white. After baby Alex was born, Jin had one pressing thought. Well, I was hoping she would get all the good things from me <laughs> and all the good things from her dad, you know? That, that was the only wish that I had. Did she get all your good qualities? I think so. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Don't you think, don't yeah. you think Alex? Yeah, I, I think, think so. so. Jin's daughter, Alex Laughlin, has thought a lot about what she's inherited from her parents, especially given the fact that her folks come from different ethnic backgrounds. And she recently launched a podcast at The Washington Post about multiracial identities. Mixed race people aren't created in a vacuum. They're the product of two people from different backgrounds who came together to create something new. But what about the families that produce these people? What do they look like? And what specific conflicts do they face? This is Other, Mixed Race in America. I'm your host, Alex Laughlin. And I'm Lauren Ober. From WAMU and NPR, this is The Big Listen, the broadcast about podcasts. Each week on The Big Listen, we introduce you to podcasts you might not have ever heard of, and we give you the inside scoop on shows you already love. This week on the show, given that it's Mother's Day weekend and all, we're talking with all kinds of women about motherhood. Now, Jen and Alex are tight, even though they live far away. We connected with Jen via Skype from her home in Fort Bragg, North Carolina. But Alex knows... It's best not to cross her mom. Korean moms are scary. They can be very scary in the best way. Yes, in best way, yes. I mean, you don't mess with my children. And that's when you will see my worst part. When Alex was in elementary school in Hawaii, that side of Jin came out. She started having this problem with local uh, kids. And they're just picking on her, picking on her. And many things that she just could not bear anymore. Alex's native Hawaiian classmates were bullying her for looking different. It's funny because I didn't know until much, much later that it was about race. Mm-hmm. And, and it wasn't necessarily they weren't like, oh, you're white. We're going to be mean to you. They were just mean to me. So now in her early 20s, Alex is starting to explore her Korean side with a bit more intention. We'll hear how that's going in a bit. But first, another woman who struggled with her identity and then forged a new one. On the 22nd of May in 2012, I woke up, sleepily walked to the bathroom, peed on an ovulation test stick and was catapulted into action when the results showed as positive. Today was the day. I started shaking and fumbled with the phone as I blurted out, I need an appointment today. I'm ovulating. Right, what time can you be here, she said. Sophie Harper was a single lesbian living in rural Denmark when she noticed the tick-tock of her biological clock getting louder and louder. Since she came out later in life, she wasn't very experienced or comfortable dating. 
But she knew she wanted a baby, even if that meant going it alone. Of course I'd have a baby one day. I'd always known I would. It felt like my destiny. I imagined I'd do it the way schoolgirls imagine they'll do it. I'd fall in love with a man, he'd fall in love with me, and the family would naturally follow. Harper is a film documentarian by trade, so naturally she logged her journey to motherhood. I recorded my deliberations as I made my decision to have a baby on my own, and as I took action, telling family, friends and work, choosing a donor, insemination. The result is a podcast, Not By Accident. Sophie Harper, host of Not By Accident, welcome to The Big Listen. Thank you so much, Lauren. It's great to be here. You are a documentarian by trade, but I wonder why you wanted to document this very, very, very personal journey of single motherhood by choice. I really love documentary films that take place over a period of time where somebody's recording material for years and then you as the audience get to have that period of time kind of unfold very quickly before your eyes. And I wanted to do something like that myself. And so for years I'd kind of been thinking, what is the story I want to tell in this way? When I decided I was going to have a baby on my own, I thought, this is it, this is my story. And I can do it without involving anybody else. I mean, have the baby and and record the material. Um, Yes, something's going on. I'm calling with some news. Um, Yeah. I'm pregnant. (laughs) Thank you. So it's totally weird. I know. Has this experience, both having a child and the documenting of your journey, has it changed your view of of motherhood or given you a different window into motherhood? Yeah, the main thing is that now I think of our lives and experiences in terms of stories that we'll tell often. Not Not always. I mean, I go for months without turning a recorder on. We are just living our lives as well. Another thing that I think has changed as a result of it, which is not exactly about motherhood, but about relationships with family especially, is that by being able to tell my own story in its most sort of pure and definitive form, you you can't really do that in conversation. You always come away thinking, oh, yeah, but I didn't really say what I meant. And when you're taking this much time and care with telling your story, you get to really say what you mean. And so I found that people in my life, probably particularly people in my family, understand me in a way maybe that they didn't before. And and I've had an opportunity to show my gratitude and and talk about how important they are in my life in a way that you tend not to do, I think, with people you love. I wasn't so good at keeping the news to myself, though. Natasha, you know her? Um, I had dinner with her last night in London. Natasha knew the plan, but she hadn't known it was underway. And then I ordered her a a second beer and ordered myself a mineral water and then she looked at me and said you're pregnant (laughs) so I can't get away with it at all she was the first close friend I'd seen away from work since the insemination so I was excited to tell her if she hadn't guessed since I didn't have a partner to share it with I really needed my friends to feel part of that role 
I was wondering what it has been like for you for the last few years, sort of moving through the world as a single parent. And, you know, do you have to talk about it? Do you have to talk about, you know, the like where your child came from or I mean, are people nosy? Do they get in your business or do they, you know, or or do people sort of leave you alone? I mean, it's a bit like coming out. You, I sometimes find myself just feeling like, oh, God, I've got to tell him. <laughs> or somehow when it drops, you know, it drops in or Astrid doesn't have a dad and then all the ideas that they might have about what that means and what she has instead. And I, I feel like I have to take it a bit further and say, you know, I chose to have her on my own with a, an anonymous sperm donor. I mean, it's, a, it's another advantage of making the podcast. All the people who um, might have been nosy <laughs> can now just say, hey, well... If you want to know all about it, go and listen to this. So I've, I've, a lot of people in my extended circle, like friends of my parents, are, are pretty keen listeners, which is great. And I, th- I think it's opening up their perceptions. I think I've increased the number of podcast listeners in their 70s in Australia quite dramatically, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that. Um, you've done the, you know, your your first series is sort of like a long letter to your daughter. I wonder if she's heard any of your episodes now that she's, you know, she could actually listen and maybe process a part of it. You know, like, like how do you envision sharing this work with her? She's always heard bits as I've been working on it because I'm working at home, but I'm, um, I'm careful not to expose her to things that are too confronting or confusing for her, I guess. But I think I want her to experience this work in the same way that I want her to experience her origin story, that it's never a surprise. It's just always something she knows. So she never, she doesn't have a moment where she remembers finding out. Your tiny fingers are so long and thin with soft fingernails that curl over at the ends. Your hair is fair and curly, but darker than mine. Or is it just the dry blood and amniotic fluid that make it look that way? Your little nose is upturned like my sister's. It's the one feature I recognise from the scans. Your eyes are big and blue, the shape of mine and my father's. You look a bit like my father. All the babies in our family seem to look a bit like my father. Perhaps it's his distinctive features, or perhaps it's his lack of hair and our lack of imagination. More than anything, it's like this incredible gift I can give to her. Oh, this really fully realised telling of our story together in the, in the first years of her life that shows her how much I love her and how wanted she is and how loved she is by other people in her world as well. And I sort of feel like, you know, I, I think when you're a single mother, sometimes you you imagine, oh, what if something happened to me and I wasn't there anymore? How would she be? And what would... And I feel like now that I've made this thing, you know, if I if I wasn't here anymore, she'd still have that. It's, a, it's, it's an incredible thing to have made that, to have kind of spent a year of my life making something that is... That is hers, whatever happens to me. Sophie Harper is the host of Not By Accident from Wondery. 
To get more info about her show, check out biglisten.org. Now, remember our mother-daughter duo from the top of the show, Jin Tooley and Alex Laughlin? As a young adult, Alex is trying to carve out her identity as a Korean-American. And a way to do that has been to examine the parts of Korean heritage that are implicit in her life. It's parts of Korean culture that have been passed down, even though nobody ever said this is a Korean thing. Mm -hmm. So, for example, uh, I am really obsessive about my skin Mm -hmm. and my skincare. And that is that is a love language that I learned from my mom. Food is one of those love languages, too. There are some dishes that are still just the most comforting things. Mm, um, like? Like, uh, so seaweed, like dried seaweed, kim, mm. just wrapping. And like, some soup. Yeah, well, soup. yeah. <laughs> just wrapping hot rice, just plain rice in the kim. Mm-hmm. That is like an ultimate comfort food. But now Alex is trying to go beyond what her mom taught her about being Korean. She's been reading books by Korean authors and taking language lessons. Right now, my mom is my only connection to Korea. And if she were to die, I would have no way to connect with my family over there. My connection to Korea would be gone. I think she always had hunger for this Korean uh, root. I think there's a sense of shame that she was feeling that she doesn't know how to speak Korean for some reason, even though it's not her fault. We're going to take a quick break now, but when we come back, we'll hear from a woman who has a totally different motherhood story. It's like an anti-motherhood story that she made into a documentary series called Tie My Tubes. So I did a lot of research and I found that sterilization was like a relatively simple procedure. And most of the time it was covered in full by medical insurance. That's coming up in a quick sec. Stick around. This is NPR. I just discovered your show, and I am calling in from Baltimore, Maryland. My name is Lisa Oberg, and I cannot recommend enough The Hidden Almanac. It is a wacky adventure, and it is absolutely delightful for those of us who enjoy gardening and science fiction. While closely resembling the broad-headed skink, the vomiting skink does not drop its tail when threatened. Instead, it sheds its soft palate, tongue, and the contents of its stomach. This creates a sticky, rather horrible mess, which distracts the predator while the skink escapes. Everything regrows much more swiftly than the tail. Thank you so much. I love your show. Have a wonderful day. Hey, pals, welcome back to The Big Listen. I'm Lauren Ober. And if you love a podcast as much as our good friend Lisa Ober, no relation, loves her recommendation, then give me a jingle. The pod line is 202-885-POD1. You don't have to share my last name to call. In this country, we pay a lot of attention to women who want to be mothers. There are books and movies and podcasts all about the experience of being a mother. But what about the women who don't want to have children? They're pretty much missing from the conversation. Bree Ripley is trying to change that. She's the producer behind the forthcoming documentary series, Tie My Tubes, which chronicles her efforts to become sterilized. 
My mom was the first woman to tell me, you don't have to have babies. And that made sense to me. I never daydreamed about that stuff either. I knew what I wanted to do with my life. I wanted to focus my time and my money on making things, on telling stories, not on having babies. But it didn't matter that I knew what I wanted because I found out that if I was really serious, I had to spend a bunch of my time and my money on not getting pregnant. So last year, when I was 22, I made a decision to get sterilized. Brie Ripley, welcome to The Big Listen. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Um, At what point, do you know when you first started thinking, I never want to have a child? Yeah, I remember thinking that the first time I took Plan B. (laughs) Okay. The emergency contraception pill. Right, exactly. Okay. I was... um, 17 the first time I took that. Mm -hmm. And it was because I basically had no idea how sex worked. Right. But I was doing it anyways, which is, I would say, not very uncommon for a lot of teenagers. And what happens when I'm continuing encountering partners who don't want to wear a condom? Right. And I was really scared despite, you know, not only with STDs and STIs, but getting pregnant, even though I was on birth control that I got from, you know, Planned Parenthood, just through walking clinics. And Mm -hmm. so I was terrified. And I remember having sex for the very first time and then immediately going to get plan B. Right. (laughs) Because I wanted to make sure I wouldn't get pregnant. (laughs) It's like wearing two condoms or something. It's like the extra layer of security. Yeah. Maybe it was like just hearing this was, you know, around an election year. It was like 2008. Mm-hmm. Um, so I remember just like my body was constantly being talked about by by men. And I'm so tired of, you know, people having this I- th- these ideas about my body. And, and when I realized that, you know, I wanted to like experiment with sex and also enjoy sex um, without the added risk of getting pregnant, that's when I realized, oh, wait, I don't want to have children. So when you were because a lot of, you know, a a lot of people when they're little kids, you know, they think I want to I want to have a baby or when I'm a parent or, you know, and and so did you ever say that or or have those feelings like when I have kids dot 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 when you were much younger? No, I had these conversations that I recorded with my mom and she's remembers as a kid, I never was like that. Mm-hmm. I would play a popular game when I was younger was The Sims, right. which is like a game for people who are experimenting with their God complex. <laughs> it's a computer game, <laughs> right? Is. What I was really exploring and remember exploring was like relationships between people. Um, I was realizing for me in my own life, like I was more interested in experimenting with chosen family rather than this idea of blood kin. Mm-hmm. Okay. I I am assuming that you have heard many people tell you, well, there are lots of ways that you cannot get pregnant, right? (laughs) You can take a pill. You can have things inserted into you. You can use, you know, other methods. But at some point, those those didn't work for you. I had really bad experiences with birth control. I mean, that was totally something that I was really open to exploring first. I was like, okay, cool. I'm just going to ride out my fertility with an IUD, for example. (laughs) Ride out the like (laughs) 40 years of fertility that you have ahead of you. (laughs) 
yeah, like just get the copper and get that replaced a right. couple of a few times. Right. And then okay. I was really into that idea, except for when I my body rejected the IUD. Yeah. Which is and very common for women. It's also like shaming if you do get pregnant, even though you yeah. are following contraceptions. Yeah. And I've talked to a lot of women in Creating Time My Tubes who were taking contraceptives properly. And in the very first episode, right. Tequila Rivera who was using the Nuva Ring properly. I mean, yeah. even she says it's not rocket science. I was using the Nuva Ring with his dad, and like I used it properly and everything. Tequila Rivera is a 26-year-old writer, feminist educator, and birth doula. She's wanted to have her tubes tied since she was 16 years old, but doctors denied her request for sterilization, even when she asked at age 18, which is the legal age of consent in the United States. They told her, what if you change your mind later? So instead, they offered her less permanent forms of birth control, like the Nuva Ring. I went to the doctor and they did a pregnancy test and they were like, no, you're not pregnant. You're using the Nuva Ring correctly. We don't know what's wrong. So I go back to the doctor a couple of weeks later and they were like, oh, you actually are pregnant. We're sorry. And I'm thinking, oh, Okay. Um, <laughs> was not was not expecting that one. How far away along were you? About eight weeks. <laughs> and I asked the doctor, like, how? And so, at what point did you say, you know what? I'm ditching all of these conventional methods of contraception. I want to take surgical action to ensure that I never get pregnant. I remember asking for the first time after my body rejected the IUD. So that mm -hmm. was around 18, 17, 18. I had mm -hmm. the IUD in for a year. At the time, I remember when I was like, great, this is the best contraception at the time, and it's not working for me. Right. So what I need to do is I need to take initiative. And so I did a lot of research, and I found that sterilization was like a relatively simple procedure. And most of the time, it was covered in full by medical insurance mm -hmm. as a form of preventative health care and preventative birth control. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, this is this is great. Um, but then they were citing things like this regret rate. And I was like, whoa, that doesn't seem scientifically sound. She told me, she said, just so you know, as a reminder, I know you've thought about this intelligently and you've done a lot of research and I know this is all culminating to be a big project and I don't want you to feel pressured by the project blah, 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 like more about the project and how I can change my mind and I can opt out at any second. She's like, and also the regret rate for the surgery for someone your age is about 40% until you reach the age of 25 and then it starts to go down. And I've heard that so many times. This, that study. Like what, what in the world is even a regret rate? Like how do you measure that? And my, so my response was, well, I can't wait to start the study if happiness rates post-surgery and then that's when she was just like all right I'm out you obviously know what you want. Why do you think doctors are so concerned with what ifs that don't have anything to do with your medical health? That's a really good question and I think um, this idea about regret is something that I kept running into with doctors is like we just don't want you to regret anything later. Like we don't want you to think back on your life and say oh man I really shouldn't have done that. It's interesting you had in the in your first episode a medical ethicist on right who talked about that 
it actually is your right to live with regret and question and that people have to be allowed to make decisions autonomously for themselves and then live with whatever the consequences are, positive or negative or totally neutral. Totally. Was that refreshing for you to hear? Like, had you heard anybody sort of lay it out that way before? I mean, have you ever heard Jeff Sessions speak? It was like in the same. I mean, of course you have. Sorry. That's like a super. That would be our, that would be our, our uh, attorney general of the United States, Jeff Sessions. I have heard, all him heard him speak. It's true. Um, he sounds just like this bioethicist that we talked to, you know, the same accent, the same style and the same like the same. He looks like him. He's a white guy from the South. Uh-huh. And to hear like this white guy from the South and his really wonderful accent say all of these things was like. Yes, like this is exactly what I wish I was hearing my legislators say on on NPR. Right. To make sense of the shift in attitudes about sterilization, Time I Tube's producer Eleanor Cummins called Paul Lombardo. Hello. Hi, it's Eleanor. It's so nice to hear your voice. His former title, Senior Advisor for the Presidential Commission on Bioethics. I do think it's inappropriate for doctors to indiscriminately decide it's, it's it's their value system that should be honored and if they think someone should not be sterilized until later then that's that's going to be the rule self-determination bodily integrity i get to decide what happens to my own body that's a principle that we should all observe we should allow people to even to make mistakes serious question is whether or not we can do things against the wishes of our caregivers And why is there that assumption that they will change their mind or that that's kind of a reason not to to perform a procedure um, that someone's asking for? Well, I I mean, I disagree with that assumption. I think that's incredibly paternalistic. Our society, like lots of others, is pretty slow to accept the absolute equality of men and women and and the prerogatives that women have to decide what to do with their own bodies. So when I listened to your first episode, I thought, yeah, I believe that this woman should be able to do with her body what she wants. However, in the back of my mind, I kept hearing the questions of like, well, does this mean you're going to have to like, if you're interested in having a long-term partnership, you're going to have to find somebody who also isn't interested in having kids? Or like, what if you do want kids? But like, who cares? Because it's none of my business. But I... I guess I wonder, have you had to deal with your own internal questions? I think that is a great question. My only hope is that when people listen to Time My Tubes, they actually get a taste of what it must feel like to be a doctor who's put in the situation of somebody like me asking them, will you please sterilize me? Mm -hmm. Because all of those questions, all of those things that you've posed are exactly what I imagine they're grappling with too. And I think that... As of right now, you know, like I am in a relationship with somebody who I am totally in love with them. And I would probably do a lot of things that I wouldn't normally do autonomously for our love Mm. because I want to be like a champion of love. And (laughs) with them, I want to explore that. And, And that is so cool and neat and fun. But it's absolutely up to nobody else to imagine what that would mean but myself. Bree Ripley is the host of the forthcoming documentary series, Tie My Tubes, which comes out in June. To find out more about the show, go to biglisten.org. 
We'll take another quick break now, but when we come back, we're going to hear from a bunch of podcast producers about their moms. And we will be joined by the most special guest host of all, my mom. Do I get paid? What? You keep asking me this. You asked me this the last time you did work for me and you said, Can, am I going to get paid? And I'm like, no, of course you're not going to get paid. <laughs> That's coming up in a sec. Don't go anywhere. This is NPR. What does it take to start something from nothing? And what does it take to actually build it? I'm Guy Raz. Every week on How I Built This, I speak with founders behind some of the most inspiring companies in the world. Find it on NPR One or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there. My name is Dylan. I live in Montgomery County. Two podcasts that I really enjoy. Uh, One is called I Was There Too, and it's stories and interviews with actors and actresses that were in important scenes of big movies. And these people are not stars. They had smaller bit parts, but they were there. We're running from stormtroopers. We're running from chicken walkers. We're running from, you know... And another is Beautiful Anonymous, hosted by Chris Gethard, where he has a one-hour conversation about anything with an anonymous person. Probably about an hour ago, I just had my first kiss. What? So, yeah. One hour ago, you had your first, a monumental life moment. Thank you. Hey, pals, welcome back to The Big Listen. I'm Lauren Ober, and if you have a few shows that are tickling your fancy these days, let us know about them. Ring up the pod line at 202-885-POD1. Let's hear what you got. So, recently, we sent out a query to all of our pod friends. Um, here, I'll read you the prompt. Hey, pals, The Big Listen would love to hear from podcasters and radio people about their moms. <gasps> oh, my God. Um, and then they post a couple of questions that they'd like people to answer. Oh, my golly. And guess what all those questions are about? Moms. Getting advice from moms. Those are our new pals, Rebecca Garza-Bortman and her mom, Dr. Elizabeth Skibinski-Bortman. They are the mother-daughter team behind the podcast, Advice from Mom. Well, speaking of advice from mom, Lauren, how about you introduce me? So my mom, Killa Kay, reluctantly agreed to help us out this week. Well, somewhat reluctantly. What? <laughs> what do you mean somewhat reluctantly? I feel like when I asked you... You were very reluctant. What did you say when I asked you? I was not sure I wanted to do it, and I didn't want to be in front of an audience, even though I know it's just talking to you. <laughs> right. But but then also, you made a very audible groan. You went, oh, Lauren. <laughs> I, I admit it. I did. You know how I am about these things. But I'm here now, so what do you want me to do? I have dinner planned okay. soon. Okay, 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 okay. Okay, so we're going to listen together to some of the stories that our podcast producer friends sent in about their moms. And then maybe you can tell me what you think. Does that sound good? Sure. Okay, so here's Rebecca and her co-host slash mom, Elizabeth, again. Oh, here's a question for you. How, if at all, did your mom help you in your pursuit of audio? I want to hear. You are my reason to make audio. No pressure. No pressure, no hype, no cheesy, no nothing. Yeah, yeah, okay. that's definitely yeah. not hy- hypeful no. or cheesy. Yeah. No. But really, it was 
your good advice that inspired me to put this out to the world. And that's why this Mother's Day is so special for us. Can I clap? You can clap. Rebecca and her mom weren't the only podcasters we heard from. Hi, Lauren. My name is Bam Gatkus. I live in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. This is Christina Loring from San Francisco, California. My name is Rigoberto Hernandez, and I am an associate producer for Distillations Podcast in sunny Philadelphia. My name is Anita Rao, and I am calling from Durham, North Carolina. My name is Scott Gurian. I live in northern New Jersey. I'm Ellen Horn. For 12 years, I was an executive producer at Radio Lab. So a lot of the folks who answered our call had some really great mom advice to share, Kathy. Well, I've given you a lot of advice over the years, but I'm not sure you've taken much of it. Okay, all right. That's not entirely true. I'm sure there was something that you told me that I actually did. Anyway, here's a story from Ban Gatkuth, host of the podcast Daughter, about a lesson she learned from her mother, a South Sudanese refugee. So the most important lesson my mother has ever taught me was to have hope in moments of distress. This was a really important lesson for me because it taught me that I have more control of my future than I think I do. And if I'm focusing on the wrong things in the moment, future situations will become even more difficult to bear. This lesson was taught to me in the form of a story that she told me, and it's one that was actually shared on my podcast series. They said you sleep outside with your child. I'm crying, I'm crying until morning. I'm thinking they're going to kill my husband. I don't know. I don't know the language. In this story, my mother is 19 or 20 years old. I can't recall the, the specific age at the moment, but she's very young. And she's the mother of a newborn child who is just turning four months old. Because the area she lived in um, wasn't stable and didn't provide her with the necessities of life, she was forced to flee the country completely. And after a series of events, she ended up in prison with her newborn child and my young father. Eventually, a war broke out near the prison, so they devised a plan and ran on foot past a hailstorm of bullets and fighting. Where we go after that? We don't have any, 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 any police in here, and we don't have a document. Where we go? They said, we're going to find your own way. We don't have any government. Even us, we're going to run away. I think the most impressive and important part of the story to me is that while all of this was happening, my mother consistently prayed to her God and kept hope in her heart. Hope that her son would have a future, hope that she and her husband wouldn't die in the literal war that was surrounding them, and hope that they'd find stability one day in the future, if not now. This lesson has taught me that if my mother can maintain hope in all of that, then I can certainly maintain hope in my studies, in my work life, on my not-as-frequent-as-they-should-be jogs through the park. And if I can just hold on to hope, my current circumstances will not bog me down, and I'll be able to make it through anything. I can't imagine. Can you imagine having a baby in the middle of a war? No, I can't. I mean, it just makes you thankful for the life that you've been fortunate enough to have. So Bands was not the only mother story we heard. We also heard from producers Christina Loring, Anita Rao and Sandra Davidson, Rigo Hernandez and Scott Gurian about their mom lessons. I'm calling to talk about my mom. I think 
I wanted to talk about maybe it's an important lesson. Maybe it's just something that I think encapsulates her. When I was in fifth grade, we had to do a book report on a biography. And all the other kiddos picked some pretty some people that were fine, like Shirley Temple or like Benjamin Franklin. But my mom was like, F all that noise. I think you should read the biography of Susan LaFlacha Paycott, who was the first Native American woman doctor. And I think that just really encapsulates what my mom was trying to teach me about other people's histories, other people's struggles, other people's achievements and stories. And that's stuck with me uh, in the work that I do. And, um, yeah, so that was great. Okay, this is awesome. I'm just going to call your pod line and just call, talk to it all day. It's like a therapy session already. Okay, bye. So we are going to answer the question about has your mom ever been a guest on your show? And, yes, our moms were our very first guests on She and Her and have become a really integral part of the show that we create because they were such big stars and our fans love them. Yeah, they've come on almost every episode that we've done in our second season, but the very first episode of She and Her, we asked both of our moms to reflect on what advice they would give to young women of our age. Is there something from your personal journey and experience as a woman that you hoped would be different for me or for Lizzie? You know, if there's something you're interested in, go for it. Don't worry about how you're going to look or what other people may they think of you. Don't let fear keep you from doing things. I mean, even silly things like wear the damn bikini, no matter whether you feel you may not look the best in the world. So much of that. Where is the damn bikini? And that's what we ended up doing the show, and it's also kind of become the mantra for all of our programming. I'm trying to give my mom the credit that she deserves because we. I came here when I was nine. I'm 29 now, so I've been here 20 years. We came together. She wanted me to be a car mechanic, and I just, I just remember her saying, like, once you do that, you, you'll be fine. Like you'll you'll be able to support yourself and, 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 and that's a clean job. She keeps saying clean job. I don't it's like actually being a car mechanic is quite dirty. I was when I was a kid we would go pick fruit because that's like I don't know, that's as Mexican as we get, I guess. I've been going to J school. I went to two J schools. A state school and then Berkeley and I've been reporting my whole life and I, I don't know, I just want her to feel proud. Like, I wish my mom would go to, like, a dinner and say stuff like, my son was at NPR. But no, what she tells me is like, why aren't you married yet? <laughs> I'm communicating to the world something, but I can't communicate with my own mother. Before starting my podcast, I worked for many years in public radio, and I still have this voicemail my mom left me over a decade ago, shortly after I got my big break and was hired as a news director at a small station in central Oklahoma. Hi, Scott. It's Mom. Hey, I really enjoyed cooking with you tonight. I put on your CD, and I really, really liked what I heard. 
I was admittedly still pretty young and inexperienced at the time, and I was just starting to find my voice. So it meant a lot to me to have the support of my mom, who was a careful listener that I could always rely on to give thoughtful and honest feedback. I think you're doing a terrific job. You've always loved music, and it's really neat, the pieces that you bring into it. Um, shows a lot of research, and I think you're having a lot of fun. A few years after she left this message, my mom died suddenly in a car accident, so she unfortunately never got to hear my podcast. But I keep the audio file of this recording on my computer's desktop, and every so often, if I feel like I need encouragement, I'll give it a listen. I'm very impressed. I know I'm your mother, but I, I just I think it's a great job, okay? What else can I say? I think all those stories are so great. They're all different and varied, and and they have such a a loving voice to them, these tributes to all these radio producers' moms. I think it's great to hear how much everyone loves their moms. Those are the types of people who probably call their moms more regularly. Okay, well, really, I mean, how many times a week do you want me to call? Two, three, five, 18 times a a week? No, once is great. And actually, (laughs) actually, we... Usually talk once we're a pretty, week, yeah. if not more. We're, we're, we're pretty good about that, I think. But um, I want to share one more story with you. This is from Ellen Horn, formerly of Radio Lab, now with Audible, um, about going against her mother's advice. I am so sorry. My, my, there's a good chance my mother is listening to this. And, and first of all, I just have to say, my mother hates Mother's Day. So um, I'm just... I'm. I'm sorry, Mom. Uh, but my mother's, the case against Mother's Day, my mother says, you know, it's, it's a Hallmark holiday, it's a BS holiday, it's an excuse to treat your mothers like crap, it's 364 days a year, and then, you know, think you're off the hook for just treating them well, buying them flowers and a card one day and, and calling. Anyway. This is a story about radio and about my mom and me and what I learned from her about commitment and about being a mother. So when I told her that I'd be quitting my job and going to radio, she told me in no uncertain terms that this was a terrible idea, a really rotten idea. Like, she thought that basically my chance of success, by her reckoning, was slim to none. And when I quit my first stable day gig in radio, a job producing a daily talk show, so that I could volunteer as an intern for this guy, Jada Boomerad, who had this little show on AM radio. Well, she asked a lot of questions. She did want to understand, what was my plan exactly? Ten years into the future, I'm executive producer of Radio Lab. The show's on hundreds of radio stations, and she still she totally doesn't get it. And I'm making my third big Radio Lab tour, this time 21 cities. And I've just found out I'm pregnant. Nope, not planned. But we have this problem because this thing that I want very much to do, that I feel very committed to do, to go out on tour and bring the show around the country, is going to happen when basically I have a three-week-old baby. And so all of the people in my life, my boss, my other people I work for, my friends, are all saying, Ooh, this sounds like a bad idea, Ellen, like a bad plan. And my mom, at this point, was just completely unwavering. My mom said, 
that whatever you set your mind to, whatever you have the commitment and the creativity and the dedication to do, you just do. And that I would be surprised by how well it all turned out. Bringing the baby on the road and, you know, I, I ended up with a three-week-old baby on tour was one of the most surprising joys of my life. It was a great adventure. And it was a total delight to have a baby around all of those performers. Everybody really, truly enjoyed her. And I think back on the commitment my mom had to supporting my happiness, even when she couldn't really understand what it was about the things that I wanted to do that were gonna make me happy. It was just, it really conveys the best about parenting to me. And so as I contemplate my mom at 80 and her failing health and then really the beginning of the end, I think about kind of all that she's given me and the lessons that I bring forward from her. <laughs> Even when I go against her wishes and I just wanted to say happy Mother's Day, Mom. I'm having trouble not crying <laughs> because it was beautiful. Um, the uh, faith her mother had in her to do the right thing. And um, I think I've kind of always felt that way with you. If you made a decision that maybe I wasn't 100% for, I figured, well, it's your life and you have a reason for doing it. And I just sort of let you follow it. I got to say that um, one of the things I appreciate most about you is that there was never a time that I can remember that you told me that I shouldn't pursue something that I was interested in. There was never a time when you said, oh, I don't think you should pursue journalism or I don't think you should switch from newspapers to radio. I, I don't think you should go down that path. And, and I think that being able to know that your parent is behind you and that they believe in you, at least they believe in you enough to make your own mistakes, um, is is so valuable. And um, and I just want to say thank you for that, Mom. I love you. I love you, too. Um, do you want to uh, do you want to thank all of our producer friends who sent in stories about their moms for us? Well, I think all those stories are wonderful, and I want to thank everyone who called or sent in their mom's stories. And you can find more about all the great shows these producers are creating on our website, biglisten.org. That's right. Our website, yours and mine, Kath. <laughs> Let us know what you think of this week's show. We're on Facebook and Twitter, so follow us. We're at Hear Big Listen. That's H-E-A-R, Big Listen. If you want to send love notes, our electronic mail address is biglisten at wamu.org. The show today was produced, mixed, and edited by Jacob Fenston and Ponzi Rutch. I, Lauren Ober, was busy tying my own tubes. <laughs> so Special thanks to my main man, Hans Anderson. Also thanks to Marilyn Pittman for making me sound like a champ. David Schulman composed the theme music. Other music in the show came from Army Navy, the band, not the store. The Big Listen is the brainchild of boss lady Andy McDaniel and her boss man, J.J. Yore, and is produced by WAMU and distributed by NPR in Washington, D.C., 
capital of America. And now a few final thoughts from Jin Tooley and Alex Laughlin about passing down Korean culture from mother to daughter. The Korean culture reminds me of her, Mm -hmm. you know? Like people say mother tongue, motherland. Mm -hmm. And I feel that in a very physical way. It is my motherland, my mother's land. Do you guys have conversations together now in Korean? Oh, no. (laughs) No. (laughs) No, she's not that level. Wait, really? Yeah. I mean... No, no, no. She can text me, and she understands so much more than I give uh-huh. her credit for. Um, she has texted me in Korean, and I was blown away. She could text this well <laughs> in this language. Well, it's ironic because, um, you know, English is my mom's second language, uh-huh. and uh, I grew up correcting her English, correcting her grammar. Oh, yes. And now it totally flips our dynamic where she's laughing at my American accent and correcting me and saying that I'm talking like a five-year-old. <laughs> to all the moms and grandmas and aunties and female role models of all stripes out there, happy Mother's Day. We love you. Till next time. Excellent. Yay. I have no idea what you said. <laughs> you I mean, said, sounds... American people, please keep listening to the radio. Oh, that's yeah. so good. Yeah, that's what I said. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Alex just translated. Yes. <laughs> Kore- oh, Korean funny. lessons are going well. Yeah. <laughs> love it. Love it.